All right. Good evening, comrades, and welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is April 18th, 2023, and I want to thank you all for being here. Tonight's class is going to be on ultra-leftism in our time. If you'll remember, we had a class on ultra-leftism at the beginning of the year. That was more of an overview of the history of it. Right now, we're getting into an emerging trend in the world communist movement of ultra-leftism, which is dividing the world communist movement and attempting to weaken it. Before we get into the class, you're going to hear a lot of vague statements like some parties, some forces, these forces, these parties. There's reasons why we can't name these forces right off. This is a struggle that we're currently in in our movement. But, you know, if you reach out to us privately, we might be able to explain it a little bit more elaborately. Ultra leftism in our time. What we're going to be learning today is a brief history of how the ultra leftist trend emerged, about the emergence of an ultra leftist pole in the world communist movement, which tries to split the movement on disagreements, contemporary examples of this ultra leftist trend, and what we can do to combat this trend and unify the communist movement. And before we get started on our first section, I just wanted to read this real quick. We believe in walking the tightrope of Marxism-Leninism. So what is the tightrope? The Party of Communists USA promotes the theory of walking the ideological tightrope of Marxism-Leninism and not falling to the right towards reactionaries, reformism, revisionism, and not falling to the left to ultra-leftism and left deviationism, both of which lead to the death of a revolutionary movement. Ultra-leftism is manifested in individualism, sectarianism, anti-leadership, spontaneity, and an underestimation of the power of the ruling class with an overestimation of the working class. Anarchists, Maoists, Trotskyists, and New Leftists are all examples of ultra-leftists. We have a picture that we've posted up on our social media showing that tightrope. Over to the left, you have things like Maoism, Trotskyism. On the right, you have things like revisionism, social democracy. And of course, there's also a, a pretty important art piece that Comrade General Secretary did in 1989 called Crossroads Looking Back and Ahead. And you can see there's perestroika, new left, Eurocommunism, Maoism, petty bourgeois, opportunism. They're all pointing to a dead end path. Reformism, Trotskyism, social democracy, revisionism, they're all pointing to a dead-end path. But Marxism-Leninism leads to socialism, the rising sun of socialism. And it says socialism straight ahead, 25 miles. So that just goes to show more, even what our position is there. All right. And now we'll start on the brief history of ultra-leftism. And I'll go ahead and let Comrade General Secretary read on this part. The roots of ultra-leftism. Anarchism is the number one root of ultra-leftism. The first ultra-leftist ideology was that of anarchism, which arrived on the philosophical scene in the early 1800s with the works of Bakunin, Proudhorn, Kropotkin, and more. Simultaneously, with and in conflict with Marxism. They were expelled from the first international, but remained the current in the ultra left to this day. Anarchists reject all states, all authority, 
including socialist ones, and engage in what we call spontaneous accelerationist activity, including terrorism. They also uphold mutual aid as a tactic for sharing resources in the community. Anarchists are also highly individualist and only operate in collectives in a loose and an undisciplined way. They reject democratic centralism and either rely on what they call consensus or everyone doing what they want and nobody being able to criticize tactics. One of the big slogans of the 60s was everybody do your own thing. That was a big anarchist slogan. Everybody do your own thing. Quote, we believe that the anarchists are real enemies of Marxism. This was done by Stalin, mentioned this in his booklet, Anarchism or Socialism. We believe that the anarchists are the real enemies of Marxism. Accordingly, we also hold that a real struggle must be waged against real enemies. Therefore, it is necessary to examine the so-called doctrine of the anarchists from the beginning to the end and weigh it up thoroughly from all aspects. And in the right-hand corner, you'll see one of their logos. It's an A, a circle with an A in it, and a black flag. And their slogan is, no gods, no masters. Very similar to the IWW, which Lenin considered an anarchist organization. Against all authority, including socialist authority. That's anarchism. Next. And there you see the father of ultra-leftism, Leon Trotsky. And there's the symbol of the hammer and sickle with the number four in it. That meant the fourth international, not the third international, which was the international of Stalin and Georgi Dimitrov. Trotskyism was one of the first left deviations from the communist movement. In the 1920s, the so-called left communist faction of the party of the Soviet Union led by Leon Trotsky, were expelled from the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in 1927, where they began the so-called United Opposition, which eventually included right opposition led by Bukharin. So the rights and the left joined together against the center. The center was represented by Comrade Stalin. The international left opposition was founded in 1930, which became known as the Fourth International. And Trotskyism served as an anti-Soviet force in the world for decades to come. I wanna just remind everyone that when Trotsky left the Soviet Union in 28, you will know where he went to live. He went to live in Italy, Mussolini's Italy. And he was wined and dined by Mussolini. As the communists were put into concentration camps, Trotsky was wined and dined. That tells you something. 
Maoism. Maoism came about in the late 60s during my time and into the 70s as another anti-Soviet force in the world communist movement following the Sino-Soviet split and Mao's death. Maoist insurgents have served as armed counter-revolutionaries in India and other countries against the Soviet Union and the legitimate communist parties. Maoist groups have sprung up, and you know they were Maoists at that time. They added two letters to their name at the end, ML. That's what they added. And they went into every country, and they split the Communist Party. That's a tactic of the ultra-left. They split the communist movement in every country, and they set up an organization that has the name communist that represents their views. This is a tactic that they're even doing today. And on the right-hand side, you see people's war until communism. That's a slogan they have. And there's a picture of Gonzalo in Latin America. Next. Now, this was the time that in my time, the new left. Students for a Democratic Society, the Black Panther Party, the Young Lords, they were all part of the new left. Their ideological godfather was Herbert Marcuse. Herbert Marcuse, a student of the Frankfurt School in Germany, which was, notice they call themselves New Left deliberately to distinguish themselves from the real left, which they call the old left. They came about after the McCarthy period in the United States, when the old left was underground. New left, following the weakening of the American communist movement, following McCarthyism, and the anti-communist repressions of the 40s, 50s, and the 60s, the new left was born out of philosophers in Columbia University and the Frankfurt School, such as C. Wright Mills, another one, and Herbert Marcuse, respectively. Their idea was that it was the students and the lumpen was gonna lead the revolution, not the working class, the student and the lumpen. So it was opposed to everything Marx and Lenin were talking about. New leftism was essentially founded on critical theory, and they rejected the class struggle and the focus on the labor movement. And they solely focused on social issues. In fact, uh, very social issues only, not, not class, without a class connection, such as race, gender, anything but the class. Maoism, Trotskyism, and anarchism also play a role in the new left movements. Examples of new left organizations included the number one, Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, the Black Panther Party, Young Patriots, Young Lords, the Brown Berets, and even to another certain extent, the Black Lives Matter movement can be considered that type of an organization. And uh, before we move on, I just want to put a, a reminder in here and kind of a... Um... An explanation. It's not that fighting for social issues itself is wrong. We should fight for social issues. It's that the new left rejects the class struggle and doesn't look at those issues with the class lens. 
And so that's what we're trying to convey here when we include modern things like uh, the BLM movement and other organizations, which spawned off of the new left. And I want to answer that. We had an SDS chapter at my campus. I was the chair of it. It was different in my campus. We actually had communists in charge of the SDS chapter, which was very different. Most of the country didn't. Their line was called, students are going to lead the revolution, if you can believe such a thing. In fact, there was a slogan by SDS. It's a word I never use, and we should never use. That was their slogan. So they looked at students as an oppressed class, an oppressed nationality. I want you to know that that was their ideological line. Thank you. So this is from Left-Wing Communism and Infantile Disorder by V.I. Lenin. Anarchism was not infrequently a kind of penalty for the opportunist sins of the working class movement. The two monstrosities complemented each other. And if in Russia, despite the more petty bourgeois composition of her population as compared with the other European countries, anarchism's influence was negligible during the two revolutions of 1905 and 1917 and the preparations for them. This should no doubt stand partly to the credit of Bolshevism, which has always waged a most ruthless and uncompromising struggle against opportunism. I say, quote unquote, partly, since of the still greater importance in weakening anarchism's influence in Russia was the circumstance that in the past, the 70s and 19th century, it was able to develop accordingly and to reveal its absolute erroneousness, its unfitness to serve the revolutionary class as a guiding theory. When it came into being in 1903, Bolshevism took over the tradition of a ruthless struggle against petty bourgeois semi-anarchist or delante anarchist revolutionism, a tradition which had always existed in revolutionary social democracy and had become particularly strong in our country during the years 1900 to 1903. When the foundations for a mass party of the revolutionary proletariat were being laid in Russia, Bolshevism took over and carried on the struggle against a party which, more than any other, expressed the tendencies of petty bourgeois revolutionism, namely the Socialist Revolutionary Party, and waged that struggle on three main issues. First, that party, which rejected Marxism, stubbornly refused, or it, it might be more correct to say was unable, to understand the need for a strictly objective appraisal of the class forces and their alignment before taking any political action. Second, this party considered itself particularly revolutionary, or left, because of its recognition of individual terrorism, assassination, something that we Marxists empathetically rejected. It was, of course, only on grounds of expediency that we rejected individual terrorism, whereas people who were capable of condemning, quote-unquote, on principle, the error of the Great French Revolution, or, in general, the terror employed by victorious revolutionary parties, which is besieged by the bourgeoisie of the whole world, were ridiculed and laughed to scorn by Plekhanov in 1900-03, when he was a Marxist and a revolutionary. Third, the quote-unquote socialist revolutionaries thought it very quote-unquote left to sneer at the comparatively insignificant opportunist sins of the German Social Democratic Party, while they themselves 
imitated the extreme opportunists of that party. For example, on the agrarian question or on the question of the dictatorship of the proletariat. All right, and with that, we'll go ahead and stop for our first round of questions and comments. And I'll go with the first hand that I see up. Comrade from Canada, you have the floor. Thank you. Quick question. What stagnation was caused by the Trotskyites being rejected? Did things have to slow down slightly in the 1920s when they did kick out the Trotskyites? Did, did anything get sort of backlogged or was that they just kind of moved on? Thank you. Comrade General Secretary. Oh, I see what you're saying. It was such a small minority. It did not really affect anything. They were replaced. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Comrade. Comrade from Virginia, you have the floor. Yeah, that Lenin passage about like ultra leftism and basically sneering at other left parties for their opportunism while engaging in the same actions is very relevant to this day. And it really shows this like this trend of hypocrisy within ultra leftist tendencies. For example, one that I can think of is with anarchism, they talk about opposing all authority and being very anti-authoritarian, but often in practice, it just turns out to be a more insidious form of authoritarianism because they just, like there are people who have unspoken authority within these formations, it's never really recognized. And what they believe is what basically what the, the rest of the group follows along with. Yeah, basically, like so-called anti-authoritarianism is usually just very well-disguised authoritarianism. Thank you, comrade. Comrade from Virginia, you have the floor. Yeah, um, just another thing in terms of uh, Trotsky's collaboration with fascists. A lot of French Trotskyists during World War II opposed the Communist Party of France. And the party in France, they were so dedicated toward defeating fascism that they advocated for their members to um, resist, to basically work with the French government, even though the French government in 1939 actually banned the Communist Party in France and arrested its members and were doing a lot of actions against communists. They still supported the government because France was being invaded by the Nazis. French Trotskyists actually, a lot of them later became fascists within the Vichy regime in France. Figures such as Marcel Diat, and uh, Jose Dorier, another one I can think of. And there's even more. This pattern was also repeated where the Trotskyist Fourth International itself supported a faction of the OUN, which was the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists against the Soviets in Ukraine. There was a split within the OUN between the OUNM, the OUN Melniki, versus the OUN Bandera, OUNB, Bandera. So two figures, um, two Ukrainian fascists named Bandera and Melnik had different ideological positions, and uh, Trotsky supported the Melnik faction. So that's just another kind of, in addition to General Secretary's comments about Trotsky um, in Italy. And I'd like to add, he was in Italy during the time that Gromsky was arrested. Uh, he was, you know, having a grand old time in Italy while, while Gromsky was in prison. Thank you for that, comrade. And I think that's really going to connect well to the issue of the ultra leftist kind of split over the issue of Ukraine. So I think that 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 was really relevant. Thank you, comrade. Uh, comrade from Georgia, you have the floor. Comrade D'Angelo mentioned like uh, Maoist parties adding FL to their name. Uh, like what did that stand for? It stood for Marxism Leninism. 
they claimed that they were the real Marxist Leninists. So that's where they put ML after their names. Oh, ML. And of, I, course, I and of course, you all know what happened. The Maoists supported Pinochet after he overthrew and killed Allende in Chile. The Maoists supported Pinochet, General Pinochet. All right. Thank you, comrade. Comrade Jake from Missouri, you have the floor. So the Black Panthers were mentioned. They were mentioned part of the New Left. They had pulled a lot of their ideology. Huey Newton pulled a lot of his ideology from Mao and Maoism. And uh, we saw what happened where he did not identify the proletarian class as the revolutionary class, but the lumpen proletariat. The lumpen proletariat, which are the people that are not properly employed and have to resort to crime and whatnot. And I think Marx has some very strong words about the lumpen proletariat and siding with them. It doesn't work. But not only at that, he disparages the working class of blacks. And there are in America, there are definitely a proletarian class of blacks in America, which I think is kind of dismissive. And uh, that gets kind of lost. One more thing is John Brown, I would argue maybe was a old new leftist. He was very much a terrorist. And I think a lot of, or say media likes to kind of, when they point to like a solid white American, it, they point to John Brown. I would point to Abraham Lincoln maybe as one that probably pushed the Civil War, which ended slavery, not John Brown. But we like to focus a lot on him. And that's all. Thank you, comrade. And there's generally a, a trend when it comes to anarchists and a lot of the ultra left of glorifying people that use violence and terrorism for their own gains, which it's not that violence isn't used by communists. I mean, obviously, the Russian Civil War, the Chinese Civil War, the Cuban Revolution all used violence. But it's the it's the difference between terrorism and using intimidation to get what you want and using violence when it's absolutely necessary. So thank you for that, comrade. Comrade from New York, you have the floor. Yeah, also to say um, organized violence rather than disorganized. But the point I was going to, just as I pointed out in France, the Trotskyites, as well as the anarchists, so the P-O-U-M, whom, and uh, so those were the Spanish Trotskyites, and then the C-N-T-F-I-A or something like that, the anarchists, they rejected the Popular Front working with the Spanish Republicans when uh, Franco, the fascist in Spain, was coming to power, and they by splitting up the Popular Front, they allowed Franco to come right in. And first thing he did was he destroyed all the communists. And then he went over to the um, Catalonia, I think it was, and destroyed the anarchist commune. So they shot themselves in the foot. Thank you. Thank you for that, comrade. Comrade from Virginia, you have the floor. Uh, Hey, thanks. I was just wondering if someone could briefly describe how Mao Zedong went from being the proud leader of the revolution in 1948 to having his name associated with these ultra-leftist tendencies. Thanks. Yeah, that's another whole class. That's another whole class, and it's it's an important class. I'll just tell you that there was a factional split in the Communist Party in China. Always was. And at one point, Mao had to go outside of the party and his support 
by the group called the Red Guards. I'll leave it with that, and we'll talk about it in another class. Thank you. All right, and I'll take about two, one or two more hands, and then we'll have to jump back to the presentation. Comrade from India, you have the floor. I wanted to ask uh, regarding the same question that Comrade General Secretary just answered. Uh, related to Maoism and Comrade Mao's uh, name being associated with that, because India and China both have a like a similar situation in terms of peasant uh, peasantry being a main source of um, you know working class. So there, like the split between ultra leftists and leftists happen in India regarding that point, like whether they should focus on more on uh, the labor, uh, like the labor class or the peasantry. So in that kind of a situation, how do we address ultra-leftism, basically? Yeah, again, another whole class. Thank you, comrade from India. But that's a whole section that we need to talk about at a class on, remember that in 1920s, there, the Communist Party led an uprising in Shanghai of the working class uh, in that city. And it was put down in blood. And that's when the Chinese party decided to go a different direction. In Russia in 1905, when they had the first revolution, it was put down in blood, but the Bolsheviks in Russia continued in 1917. The first part of 1917, they had a revolution led by the working class again. In China, they decided to go to the peasantry after the 1920s uh, uprising in Shanghai failed. They changed direction. And let's leave it at that. But that's an important uh, difference. Thank you. All right. And I'll take one more hand before we go back to the presentation. Comrade from Kentucky, you have the floor. Uh, yeah, I wanted to make a point on the new left. It seems to be aligned with like uh, the Democratic Party's rhetoric being anti-communist, anti-worker, focusing on social issues rather than class, rejecting class struggle. And well, I don't know about the viewing students as an oppressed nationality, but that's what I've gathered about the new left and the Democratic Party. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. So we're going to go ahead and jump back to the presentation for now. And I see the hands up. Uh, if you keep those hands up, we'll make sure to get you in the next comment period. So now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this class today and why we needed to have it. So today's ultra leftist poll. A new trend. Left in form, right in essence. As of recent, a trend has emerged in the world communist movement again which is a left sectarian deviation that seeks to divide the world communist movement and objectively, regardless of intentions, helps Western imperialism. Much of it has centered on opposing the nations opposed to Western imperialism, such as Russia, China, and Iran as being imperialist or fascists themselves. Historically, the ultra-left stood against the Soviet Union, Vietnam, China, the DPRK, socialist Afghanistan, and more. The USSR specifically was accused of being social imperialist, 
similarly to Russia being called imperialist today. Especially with the 2022 invasion of Ukraine, a worldwide struggle in the communist movement has intensified. And you can see the um, conflicting uh, uh, signs out there. Can't read this, the one in the bottom, but the other one says, stop. And then they crossed out fascism and put in Russia. All right, next slide. Okay, dividing the world communist movement. Some parties have took the position, and remember, we're talking about present day. Some parties have took the position on the Ukraine war that it is an inter-imperialist conflict and that communists should not be supportive of the Russian special military operation. Despite the fact that the communist parties of Russia, Ukraine, and the Donbass have all been pushing for such an operation since the fascist coup of 2014. They do not recognize fascism in Ukraine as the main danger. These parties have sought to undermine the Russian Communist parties and the Ukrainian Communist parties in their publications and in their party work and on the international stage, such as in Havana, Cuba in 2022. These parties are all mostly Western Communist parties that have divorced themselves from the history of the Soviet Union and do little to oppose NATO imperialism nowadays. You'll see on the right, parties which signed onto the pro-Donbas statement in Havana, Cuba in 2022, which have been attacked by the ultra-leftist parties. And you can see the Solidnet parties, you got 23 of them. Other parties and organizations, there are 11. And uh, we are part of um, either one of these. Party of Communists USA. We signed the pro-Donbass statement in Havana, Cuba. Here it is, Party of Communists USA. That is us. I just want to, that certainly shows where we stand. Next slide. Yeah, and real quick before we go to the next slide, I just want comrades to kind of look at the places that are listed. And while all of them, aren't necessarily in Eastern Europe or um, in a place that's in the East somewhere. A lot of them are. You have communist parties of Russia. You have communist party of Ukraine. You have Syrian communist party, Serbian communist party. You have communist parties of former uh, Soviet socialist republics. And I think what that shows you is that the communist parties that are actually intimately involved with this conflict supported the pro-Donbass statement versus uh, the parties that are opposed to that are mostly Western communist parties um, in places like Europe and North America uh, that decided to attack these parties for supporting the Donbass, which has gone through a genocide since 2014. Correct. A new trend, wreckage, sabotage, and factionalism. These parties have stoked factionalism, in the parties they opposed and align themselves with the records of the parties they oppose. This includes the records that tried and failed to destroy the PCUSA in 2022. These forces sabotage party infrastructure by stealing not only websites and information, 
but also by attempting to steal entire organizations connected to the parties, such as the Wreckers attempt to do with the PSMLS. This shows a break with any true sense of Bolshevism. Instead of pushing for the line they think is correct through the proper channels at the proper time, and instead of following democratic centralism, they decide to leave a party and inflict as much damage as possible during and after their departure. Their life is dedicated more to the destruction of the party than the destruction of capitalism. And then on the right, the People's School of Marxism-Leninist Studies was sabotaged by wreckers last year that left the PCUSA. They have lied about us, stole our content, and tried to hijack the PSMLS. We have been holding them accountable through legal proceedings and could use any help with donations for legal fees. You can donate on Tuesday or Thursday at partyofcommunists.net donations and put for legal fees in as a donation reason. Okay. And I just wanted to include that in here because literally what we have experienced in the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies in the last year uh, with this factionalist um, attempt to steal the school is connected to this emergent ultra-left trend. And we can't get into the specifics of that, uh, obviously, but we wanted to show that because this is something that is affecting us in the now. Yeah. Objectively, aiding the imperialists. The effect of this left deviation in the current communist movement is that the world communist movement is weakened. The parties involved in the most urgent struggles, such as in Russia, Ukraine, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and here in the belly of the beast, the United States itself, are attacked and the forces of NATO imperialists and Ukraine fascists go unopposed as Russia gets a tongue lashing from Western communist parties and the Donbass endures a fascist onslaught. Historically, it's never been rare for ultra-leftist groups to objectively stand by Western imperialists in their time. Trotskyites conspired with German, Spanish, and French fascists against the USSR and communists in Spain and many, and many later became neoconservatives. Maoists fought on the same side as US-backed forces in many areas during the Cold War against the USSR and existing socialist states and supported Pinochet. These ultra-leftists are objectively aiding Western imperialism to oppose Russia, as well as Syria, Serbia, Iran, and China. And also on the right, there's art that we've been using a lot. Uh, This is from Spain. This is the ultra-leftist. And it just shows the kind of mismatched uh, person that's trying to carry all these uh, different ideas with them. And on the inside, what do you see? You see this big, fat, monopolistic capitalist sitting on the inside because that is what they're actually uh, helping. That is the person that actually is benefited by the actions of ultra leftists. Mm -hmm. Yes. And with that, we'll go ahead and stop for discussion.
So I'll go ahead and take the hands that we have up. Comrade from South Dakota, you have the floor. Yeah, I have just kind of one comment I wanted to say was, I, especially on trends, or at least trends that I've seen, um, is I have seen this kind of fascination maybe with like Gerald Horn and the idea of, you know, the the counter-revolution of 1776 or this just this idea that um, uh, that is really anti-Marxist. You know, Lenin never talked about, never said anything like that. Um, they really reject those principles. And I think it shows, um, and I've seen it a lot. Um, it, is, it is something that I think is troubling, um, especially if we're talking about the ultra-left as far as just an idea or a belief they have that they just can't seem to shake. So that was what I wanted to say there. All right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, comrade from Pennsylvania, you have the floor. Um, I don't think the Black Panthers should grouped in with like the other like new left and stuff because they they were like a Marxist on this party and they were like not only influenced by like mountain stuff, but they're also influenced by like the Juche idea in North Korea and general like Marxism Leninism. And the focus on the lumpen proletariat, the, I feel like Marx's analysis of the lumpen proletariat was partially right, but it's also true that the lumpen proletariat has the least to lose under capitalism. So they're like more likely to be counted on in a revolutionary scenario because they don't have to worry about giving up possessions that are acquired by imperial stuff, like labor aristocrat that's, I don't know, like actually has like a job that's paying like a hundred thousand dollars and don't have a reason to fight capitalism as much yeah also they like rejected other elements of the new left um because continued to focus on class struggle and they also strongly reject the like push for drugs within the new left movement and they also weren't factionalist and stuff and got they didn't have like many splits or anything and stayed strong for a while Thank you, comrade. I just want to briefly respond to that. Some of what you said isn't exactly true. Just the fact that, for one, the new left can basically be used at that point to describe most of the groups that were operating in the United States at the time. And the Black Panther Party is a part of that uh, because of how they revised the Marxist-Leninist you know, idea of relying on the proletariat to include the Lumpen proletariat. And Henry Winston, I believe, did a really good thing about the crisis of the Black Panther Party and goes into just why and how they messed up and deviated from what the old left had done before. And they did have splits. There were different factions in the Black Panther Party, um, even, even at the time that Henry Winston was writing it, and he goes into that. So and that's not to say that everything that the Black Panther Party did uh, was bad or wrong. That wouldn't be dialectical. There were things that the Black Panther Party did that were very progressive. There were members of the Black Panther Party that I think are good people to look up to and definitely gave us great contributions. But I think that we do need to recognize that that was a new left formation, and it resulted in a lot of things um, in today's movement that aren't beneficial to the proletariat or revolution. Comrade from California, you have the floor. Okay, I just wanted to touch on, you know, something that I don't, I haven't seen really noticed 
uh, in this class yet. It's a great class, by the way. But, you know, there's major ideological differences between us and the new left. You know, the first one is the rejection of dialectical materialism and an over-reliance on idealism. You know, I'll use, for example, one group, the YPG. The YPG in Syria, you know, has its humble roots and everything like this, but they want land from four states. That's about as idealistic as you can get. That's never going to happen, you know. And then when they, when they couldn't defeat Assad on their own, they've accepted United States air support. They've accepted United States material and munitions. You know, it just goes to show that a lot of these groups and formations, they just end up returning back to supporting capitalism and, you know, the imperialist core. But that's it. Thank you for that, comrade. Comrade from California, I don't know that you spoke yet. You have the floor. Okay, so I understand that Iran is in like this situation where the United States wants to invade and that's very bad. And so, of course, communists should uh, oppose people who want the United States to invade. Uh, but they do have a reactionary anti-communist regime. So to say to so if it's ultra left to oppose the anti-communist regime in Iran, what are Iranian communists supposed to do to move towards socialism? And how can non-Iranian communists support those communists? Yeah, I'd like to answer that. Angelo is here. When we fought fascism in World War II, that was are put on the front burner. That was our main enemy. That doesn't mean that American imperialism wasn't still an enemy. And British imperialism was an enemy. But the Soviet communists and communists in this country felt that the bourgeois republic was preferable to a fascist dictatorship. And that was true. And therefore, that was our main enemy at the time. Right now, it's U.S. intervention wants to overthrow the government in Iran so that it could put into power the government they had before, which was a compliant state of the Shah, if you remember that, everybody. And that's the main danger now. So we're working together on that level. We are not, and it's a big N.O.T., saying that Iran is the society that we are pushing for. It's a theocracy. It is not a secular society. Women are oppressed. LGBT are oppressed. So we're not saying that. We're saying right now, the main enemy has to be U.S. imperialism, which is trying to overthrow and set up a government in all these countries, including Russia, uh, that would be compliant to American corporations. 90 seconds. So just the way fascism was the number one enemy for communists in World War II, today it's U.S. imperialism has taken the place of fascism. That's all. Thank you. Yeah, and I just want to briefly add to that. You know, there's a there are a lot of movements that arise in the world that have legitimate grievances and or even somewhat needed. I believe that includes Iran when it comes to uh, the oppression of women based on your religious laws. I mean, Iran is a theocracy, but the thing is the right time and place to do it and the fact that the United States is going to take advantage of these movements, no matter how legitimate their cause may be, just because it's going to benefit them if a regime that opposes their imperialism is challenged and took down. And now 
when it comes to your question about Iranian communists, if Iranian communists could go ahead and do some sort of regime change in which they still stood against American imperialism and they united with Russia and China, it might be feasible. But that's a it's it's just kind of an idealist thing to hope to happen. It could, but we're not going to count on it. And so that's why we try to shy away from, you know, throwing big support behind the Iran protests at the time. Um, and I saw that comrade from New Jersey threw his hand up. Did you want to answer this, comrade? Yeah, my answer is basically the same. Uh, just summarize is you have to pick and choose your battles. You know, we can't fight everybody at once. That's that's what, you know, the anarchists thought they could do. That's what the Trotskyists thought they could do. And every single time they get overwhelmed. You have to, as unfortunate as it is, you have to take the contradictions within capitalism within and you have to take the conflict with that capitalist societies and empires rival empires have with each other and exploit them um because let's be honest right right now communists in iran are oppressed by their government but if iran were to fall and the u.s were to take over it would be a hundred times worse because you know the cia is far better at finding communists than you know they have they just have more money they have more technology track you they're just it would be a lot worse if communists were to take over. Now, that's not to say that one day the communists become powerful enough that they can have their own revolution within Iran, then that'd be amazing, you know. But we, you know, we simply have to look at it from a realistic standpoint, uh, from a material standpoint, both ideologically and physically, materially. You know, you have to be realistic about what we have and are capable of doing. Thank you. All right, and I think I'll go ahead and take about two more comments before we hop back to the presentation, uh, just for time. Comrade, uh, I believe you're new as well. You have the floor. Yeah, um, I was thinking of when you guys are criticizing, probably necessary, criticizing the Black Panther Party, but I think that Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale's attempts to reach a cross class was the intention for even them including the lump in proletariat like Engel said all classes like all elements are you see available within the lumpen a lot of them are fallen from the proletariat specifically and then when you have a, a demographic such as the the black culture the black demographic where you have not a high percentage of what we would call like affected proletariat you know, like within the struggle. And then also we have to also look at the staffing of the Black Panther Party was not lumping. It was all working class. Then you have Huey P. Newton. He was um against Eldridge Cleaver's uh, support of the free speech movement because it alienated the um the church, which is also what he considered a part of the working class. I just disagree with a lot of what was said in reference to the Black Panther Party. Thank you, comrade. And, and there's definitely nuance here. And so that's why, you know, with the Black Panther Party, it's one of those examples of new leftists that aren't quite as quite as problematic as a lot of the others. And so I'm glad that you said the things that you said. Comrade, and then we'll go ahead and hop back to the presentation. Yeah, just to respond to a couple of things. Um, it's important to realize that as a communist within America, you are not a universal subject. You do not have influence or any control of what goes on in other countries. We believe in socialism in one country. 
We're not Trotskyists. So ask yourself, if you went to a one of these liberal protests against like Iran, what would your material impact be in America? It would be propping up U.S. intervention in Iran. And ultimately, you're not going to make Iran communists. Iranian communists are going to do that job. And in terms of like the Black Panther Party, we also have to realize that um, the reason why it was targeted so massively by the FBI is that to its credit, it was the most effective group within the new left. And there were elements within the party that had closer to a Marxist-Leninist position and that were moving in the proper direction. This is why it was destroyed. This is why, you know, Hoover went after them to such a degree alongside the Communist Party. And again, it's a topic with a lot of nuance. There's a lot of revolutionary things that the Panthers did in terms of um, their aesthetics, their uniforms, their discipline, and there is stuff we can learn from them. While at the same time, you know, we really, another part of our history that we need to look at and really return to that I very much encourage, um, there's a very good book that talks about organizing uh, Black sharecroppers within the South called uh, Hammer and Ho, which talks about the organization of Alabama communists. 90 seconds. Um, we need to look at the era where our party was the most powerful and had the most impact among the civil rights movement. And that wasn't even during the 60s or 70s. That was during the 30s and 40s when we were organizing sharecroppers and when we were having massive demonstrations against lynchings and, you know, stuff like that. Thank you for that, comrade. Uh, now we'll go ahead and go to the next section and I'll go ahead and read from this. Uh, how do we combat this ultra leftist trend in our world today? So the first thing is solidarity against Western imperialism. The greatest threat to life on Earth as it stands right now and the biggest obstacle to the socialist revolution is not quote unquote Russian imperialism or quote unquote Chinese imperialism, but rather Western imperialism, the imperialist hegemony of the United States, the country that most of us here are in right now, the belly of the beast. Western imperialism is killing this planet whilst resuscitating fascism, monarchies, and militarism across the globe to fight for its interests. It has placed naval fleets in every ocean, bases on every continent, planes in every sky, and propaganda into nearly every cyberspace. Russia, China, Iran, Cuba, and more have been encircled. Therefore, we stand resolutely with those nations and organizations fighting Western imperialism, especially including those fighting fascist Ukraine. We know we're on the right side. And on the right side of this slide right here, you can see maps of our naval fleets, our combat command zones, and our U.S. military bases abroad. I can tell you that there's no map like this for Russia. There's no map like this for China. There's no map like this even for uh, European countries. This is something that has came to be in the world from American imperialism. I believe China has one foreign base, and it's in the African country of Djibouti, but it's, it's right over here near Eritrea. There are literally seven military bases in Eritrea from different countries, including the United States, Russia, uh, the United Kingdom, and more. Um, so it, how can you go ahead and call these places imperialist when they don't match up to anything compared to what we're doing? Uh, discipline, security, and democratic centralism. We need to safeguard our parties from the wreckage and sabotage that these forces hope to inflict on us. 
We do that by becoming more disciplined with party procedure and party work, which strengthens the party and better secures us from attacks. We need to maintain strict security measures and be careful with who we let into our orbit and what people's intentions are. Anarchists and Trotskyists have been purged from communist formations before, and purging ultra-leftist elements now is not a bad thing. Comrades also need to have a firm commitment to democratic centralism, the test of which is not whether you can say you'll follow it when you come in, but whether you do when something doesn't go your way. Bolsheviks follow democratic centralism, wreckers break it. And that's the experience we've had uh, in this party before is something comes up like the Ukraine issue. People have a disagreement. And instead of taking it through the proper channels, instead of trying to push for it at the right time, what they think is the right line, they don't. And they go ahead and they want what they want now. And if they don't get it, they leave. That's not that's not Bolshevik behavior at all. And then we have left-wing communism and infantile disorder uh, by V.I. Lenin. We must see to it that communists do not make a similar mistake, only in the opposite sense, or rather, we must see to it that a similar mistake, only made in the opposite sense by the quote-unquote left communists, is corrected as soon as possible and eliminated as rapidly and painlessly as possible. It is not only right doctrinarism that is erroneous. Left doctrinarism is erroneous too. Of course, the mistake of left doctrinarism in communism is at present a thousand times less dangerous and less significant than that of right doctrinarism, i.e. social chauvinism and Kautskyism. But after all, that is only due to the fact that left communism is a very young trend, is only just coming into being. It is only for this reason that, under certain conditions, the disease can be easily eradicated, and we must set to work with the utmost energy to eradicate it. The old forms burst asunder, for it turned out that their new content, anti-proletarian and reactionary, had attained an inordinate development. From the standpoint of the development of international communism, our work today has such a durable and powerful content for Soviet power and the dictatorship of the proletariat, that it can and must manifest itself in any form, both new and old. It can and must regenerate, conquer, and subjugate all forms, not only the new, but also the old, not for the purpose of reconciling itself with the old, but for the purpose of making all and every form, new and old, a weapon for the complete and irrevocable victory of communism. The communists must exert every effort to direct the working class movement and social development in general along the straightest and shortest road to the victory of Soviet power and the dictatorship of the proletariat on a worldwide scale. That is an incontestable truth. But it is enough to take one little step farther, a step that might seem to be in the same direction, and truth turns into error. We have only to say as the German and British left communists do, that we recognize only one road, only the direct road, and the, that we will not permit tacking, conciliatory maneuvers, or compromising. And it will be a mistake, which may cause, and in part has already caused and is causing, very grave prejudices to communism. Right doctrinarism persisted in recognizing only the old forms and became utterly bankrupt. 
for it did not notice the new content. Left doctrinarism persists in the unconditional repudiation of certain old forms, failing to see that the new content is forcing its way through all and sundry forms. That is, it is our duty as communists to master all forms, learn how, with the maximum rapidity, to supplement one form with another, to substitute one for another, and to adapt our tactics to any such change that does not come from our class or from our efforts. World revolution has been so powerfully stimulated and accelerated by the horrors, vileness, and abomination of the world imperialist war, and by the hopelessness of the situation created by it, this revolution is developing in scope and depth with such splendid rapidity, with such a wonderful variety of changing forms, with such an instructive, practical refutation of all doctrinarism, that there is every reason to hope for a rapid and complete recovery of the international communist movement from the infantile disorder of quote-unquote left-wing communism. April 27, 1920. All right. Thank you, comrade. And I threw this in to our presentation itself because it is connected to what we're talking about. So this is the perfect time uh, to donate to our legal drive for what had happened, what we have described last year with the People's School. And I'll go ahead and read it real quick for our new members. Last year, we were attacked and sabotaged by wreckers that tried to steal the PSMLS and destroy the PCUSA. They failed, but they will be held accountable. And there are still things they took from us we've not got back, like videos, imagery, audio, etc. That is why we still need donations to the legal drive. So if you want to help with that, donate to the partyofcommunistusa.net slash donations, put four legal funds in the details box, and try to donate on Tuesday or Thursday so it's easier for us to sort through. That will go to the legal fund and anything helps. And literally, if you can give uh, one, two, three dollars, that doesn't have to be much, just to show your support to us, then that'll really help us when it comes to uh, our legal drive. So comrade from New York, you have the floor. Yes, I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, Black Panther Party, which I have a lot of respect for. They really went through and uh, did tremendous good in their communities. The problem was, and that's where the new leftism comes in, is that they also threw in a lot of theater and uh, public theater into uh, their actions, which really, uh, you know, it, it helped destroy them. Give you an example, one of the most famous pictures of the Black Panther Party is to show all their leadership on a podium or all holding uh, rifles and shotguns. It did nothing. It, it had no positive uh, effect. It, it, it didn't feed anybody. It didn't give anybody a, a, any jobs. It didn't give anybody any health care. Which they were doing, by the way, they were actually helping uh, in healthcare in, in the communities. But when the white America saw, you know, that was pushed out, that really scared the crap out of them. And the U.S. government and the and the powers to be used that picture. Uh, one picture they say is worth a thousand words, and they used that picture in, in the most negative way. There was no reason for them to do some of the things like that. Ninety seconds. Um, which they basically helped destroy a lot of the positive things that they did. Thank you. 
Thank you, comrade. Comrade from California, you have the floor. Hey, everyone. Yeah, this is going to be mostly in response to the, the Iran comment earlier. And it's about what is what is dialectics? And this and as mentioned during this class, we talked about Lenin and ultra leftism uh, and infantile disorder. So for the our new members here, you can understand that 100 years ago, this same issue was a problem. And dialectics to be summed up in one sentence means winning. It means doing what it takes to win. Stalin, the Soviet Union made a neutrality pact with Hitler Germany. They knew what was going on. They worked with the Communist Party of Germany, which was which was rolled up. They did it because uh, Britain, the US, France would not sign a, an allied pact with the Soviet Union. And then for that matter, the Soviet Union worked with the United States. Why don't the ultra leftists criticize that as well? And in the case of Iran, uh, yes, we don't support it 100%, but most recently, what has Iran been doing? They've been supporting the Syrian government. They supported Russia during the special military operation. And with this whole military operation in general, uh, let's sum up what's basically going on here. Is uh, There's a quote that we say at the school many times, is that uh, there's the mama, mama cow and she has her calves. And she, said, and she lives on a farm and she says, I want to bake a cake. And so she goes to the, the duck. She says, duck, help me bake a cake. And duck says, no, I'm busy. She goes to the pig. Pig, help me bake a cake. No, I'm busy. Goes to the, the horse. No, I'm, I'm busy. But then when the, the mama cow makes the cake with her calves and then she's eating the cake, all the animals come and eat the food. So it's the same thing which is going on with Russia right now. Everyone else will reap the benefits, uh, but they're fighting it all by themselves. Yes. And as mentioned, they're fighting U.S. imperialism. I can go further, but I'll end it there. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Comrade from California, you have the floor. Yes, comrade. So um, uh, what I'm going to say is just uh, about the same line as what you said, you know, we need to win. So those ultra left, what are they saying? They're saying that um, we are in 1914, we got two imperialist blocs fighting each other for the division of the spoils on the back of the working class. They're copy-pasting uh, what Lenin said 100 years ago, okay? But things change, things are different, okay? So right now, for us to win, we need to ally with, uh, like, Russia is a capitalist state, that's correct, but they're doing our job. They're fighting the main enemy. We need to win. So it means allying with them. That's what the Communist Party in Russia is doing, is allying with... You know, Zhuganov is aligned with Putin. They meet and uh, they, um, they're on the same page as far as the foreign policy. They have to win this war. And the proof is given today by the Polish prime minister. He said, if Ukraine loses, then it will be the beginning of the end for the golden age of the West. So now we know who has to win. It's our interest as communists that Russia wins. That's all. Seconds. Yeah, and just real briefly, let's also remember, comrades, that it was the communists in Russia and the communists in Ukraine that have pushed since 2014 for this to happen. 
So it's not like, you know, you hear a lot of the Western media going, oh, this is Putin's war. This is Putin's war. Putin personally wants to do this. He personally wants to rebuild the Soviet Union. None of it makes sense. It's not Putin's individual war. Putin uh, dragged his feet on this for eight years. Um, this is a war of anti-fascism. This is a justified war. And that's a position that the ultra left does not support. And because of that, they're working in the interests of Western imperialists. And that's why there are enemies in this point in time. So I'll go ahead and take comrade from Arkansas's hand. Uh, hi, I'm really enjoying this class, by the way. I just wanted to read something from Stalin talking about democratic centralism. The objection raised by the Mensheviks that in any case, many intellectuals, for examples, professors, university and high school students, etc., would remain outside the ranks of the party since they did not want to join any of the organizations of the party, either because they shrink from party discipline or reflect an offset of the second Congress because they consider it beneath their dignity to join an organization. And then uh, it goes on to say, workers did not fear discipline and organization, and they willingly join the organization if they have made up their minds to be party members. It is the individual right. intellectuals who fear discipline and organization, and they would indeed remain outside the ranks of the party. But that was all to the good, for the party would be spared that influx of unstable elements, which had become particularly marked at that time when the bourgeois democratic revolution was on the upgrade. Thank you. Thank you for that, comrade. Uh, let's see. Uh, comrade from California, you have the floor. OK, I just wanted to piggyback off of the comment about the Black Panther Party and that picture. So California, like most of the Western states, was an open carry state up until 1963. Uh, Reagan was the governor at the time. And when he saw black men on the steps of the, of the Capitol in Sacramento with rifles and shotguns, immediately they passed the, I think it's called the Mulford Act or something like this, to ban open carry in the state of California. This was not what the Black Panthers were intending to do, but this was an adverse effect of, you know, using this spontaneity and these things that we're talking about. And it did hurt the working class, because as we know now, California has some of the most restrictive gun laws, and it does put guns in the hands of the lumpen proletariat. They still have 30 round mags, but it's not legal. You know, and 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 in regards to the modern lumpen uh, proletariat, they do go against our interests. The ones that they're robbing and all of these things are us, our working people. You know, we see it a lot, especially I see it a lot with a lot of the street vendors who are attacked in California. They're attacked by lumpen proletariat. They're not attacked by, you know, neo-Nazis and these types of things. They're attacked by lumpen proletariat. Let's let's get that clear. Thank you. Yeah, and I want to add just real briefly, when it comes to the Lumpen proletariat, we need reliable comrades. We need reliable comrades that can pay their party dues, that can show up to meetings, that have a, a house, a, a base of operations that they can operate from. We need comrades that day in and day out can be reliable for our movement. And that's why there's a problem with the Lumpen proletariat. If you end up houseless or you're committing crime to survive, or and that's basically what the Lumpen proletariat does, is copies the, the methods of the bourgeois but to operate outside of the bourgeois system. Um, that is something that does not benefit the proletariat movement. And so that's, that is the problem with the Lumpen proletariat that I just wanted to add in there. I'll go ahead and take one more hand, and then we'll have to go to wrap up. Uh, comrade from Connecticut, you have the floor. Thanks, Comrade. 
I just wanted to say, you know, for all the new left's faults and mistakes, you know, I don't see it as entirely their fault because they came, they came to fruition basically after like the repression and the McCarthyist period. And so they didn't really have like any older generation from the old left to like learn from. So I see a lot of these mistakes as being inevitable. And I'm just really grateful that we have people like Comrade Angelo to like help teach us these things from older generations. Cause I don't know a ton of people from, from the generation before me that were, that are communists. And, um, you know, I, for myself, I was an ultra leftist for a long time. So I see myself as still unlearning a lot of that. So I just want to give a shout out to Angelo. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. And I see comrade Max wants to say something. You have the floor real quick, comrade. Pivoting off of that, there is a generational gap, comrades, that we see today. Um, the people from my parents' generation, Generation X, the people who were born in the 60s and 70s, a lot of them, when they were coming of age, when they were 18, 19, around my age, the Soviet Union, the counter-revolution happened. The Eastern Bloc was destroyed by the imperialists. Socialism was destroyed around the world, and very few states were left standing. That had a big ideological impact on them. You know, the new left almost, in a sense, had the Soviet Union for granted. It was thanks to the Soviet Union that they had those high-paying industrial jobs that they could always go back to after they did were, were done with their activism. It was thanks to the pressure that the Eastern Bloc put on um, NATO and the West, in a sense, that they didn't have to, you know, endure a Second World War or a first world war or any major imperialist war beyond Vietnam. And it's also thanks to, you know, the Soviet Union that, you know, social democracy even happened in Europe where you had European welfare states and they had to give up the, the Gibbs in kind of a basic way of expressing it. So we have to really realize like, you know, how much of a backstep it's been ever since the counter revolution since the 1990s. And it's our responsibility to uh, become on our own historians. We all have to be historians. We all have to carry on that legacy that we have. And, you know, because no one else is. The anarchists aren't, the Trotskyites aren't, the social democrats aren't. Only us Marxist Leninists have that historical legacy and we have to preserve it. All right. Thank you, comrade. And with that, we're going to have to wrap up our class tonight. I thought it was a really good class, and I was really happy to hear all the comments that we had from different comrades. Seems like we're all pretty uh, united here on what we're doing. Um, so before we go ahead and go into the slides that we do at the end, I want to pass the floor to comrade from Arkansas just to give us an update on where we're at with the legal drives that we mentioned in the class. Yeah, first I want to thank everyone over the last eight months that have contributed to the fund drive, the legal fund drive. Uh, as of this moment in time, all of what we paid out came from your donations. So, you know, amazing what we did in the last eight months. Uh, during that time, there was a lot of research done with the attorney, with myself, and putting together the complaint that's going to be presented to court. It's a criminal complaint. And uh, the, the attorney did a, a wonderful job. He uncovered, or his team uncovered a lot of stuff that the uh, records had done that we were totally unaware of. So uh, he included that in the complaint. Well-written, some of us have written through, uh, read through the whole thing. At this stage, like I say, we owe the attorney no money, but he is requesting a retainer before he files in court. This is very standard. I can only tell you 
that he is asking for retainers that are on the low scale. There have been people that have informed me that retainers can be as much as 25,000 before they go to court. This is not the case. Uh, he is lowballing everything. He understands our position, so on and so forth. However, he still needs to have the minimum so that he can feel comfortable going to court. We did put out the retainer for him. We did that today because we don't want to waste any more time. But any of you, again, in the, last, in the next six months, whatever you can put towards the legal fund will be well spent. And we'll work on giving you updates as things occur. The stuff that he was able to get the records to do uh, was substantial even before he went to court. But they still are publicly laughing at us and saying that what we've done so far is uh, ridiculous or ludicrous. And as this group, their main option is to basically bury us. They have not stopped. In February, they took away another aspect that they said they would never do. And it's a financial aspect. It's not harmful. And we can get that back. But all I'm saying is these people are not going to stop. And we have gained so much and we have the credibility and we have the support of so many organizations nationally and internationally in our fight with these uh, wreckers that um, it is worth our effort to put an end to this so that people can understand that we are a serious organization. So just wanted to give you an update. Hopefully I'll be able to give you more frequent updates than I have been in the past, but we had a lot of research to do. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Uh, Comrade General Secretary, is there anything you want to say to end out our class tonight? Yes, I want to thank everybody for coming. What is the point of the school? It's a place where everybody can come to, discuss something, give their information that they have on the subject and their knowledge. It doesn't mean people are going to agree with you, and it doesn't mean that people are going to disagree with you. It's a place to come to share. and. Anybody who has a different opinion than other people, we're not here to come down on you like a ton of bricks. We're here to give, everybody should give their own view and facts and figures on where they got that information so we could all learn. Everybody's here wants to learn about the subject that we're doing because without knowledge, we're not gonna go forward in our struggles against capitalism. We need knowledge, and that's why we're here. So everybody's opinion is appreciated. It really is. You may not think it because people don't agree with you, but it doesn't mean that your opinion is not appreciated. It's important. And everyone can change their mind because we find that information that we didn't know before. And it's important that we do this stuff on our own. Let's do some information on our own to make sure that our view is correct, each and every view. And that's all I want to mention, that this is a way for us to come as comrades together. And this, where else are you going to go? You're going to go to your neighbor, sit down over a hot dog, and talk about the world communist movement? Be honest. 
<laughs> Where are you going to do that? There's no place else to do it. So you come to the school and that's the place to do it. Can't do it on the job. You know why. So this is the place to come. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information or to join our free classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube, listen to our streams on Spotify, and chat with us on Reddit.